Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intricasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs, any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Today, we're talking about part one of basic D&D. But first, let's meet the panel. With me at the round table today are Rudy Basso. Greetings, listeners. Vegas Lancaster. That's me, what's up? And Alex Basso. Hello, everyone. Oh, Alex Basso. <laughs> Everything okay, buddy? That's uh, good. I'm just, you know, hey. All right. Well, our first get-to-know-you question is, what will your first basic D&D character be? All right, Rudy, let's start with you. Wizard. When the basic guide is consisting of three parts, one of which is just spells, I want to make sure I take advantage of the entire basic guide. So give me wizard so I can use part three. Ah, excellent, excellent. Acceptable also would be cleric if sure, you want sure. to use part three. You want to heal things. <laughs> Vegas Lancaster, what will your first basic D&D character be? Oh, man. Fighter, cleric, wizard, or rogue? Human, halfling, elf, or dwarf? Why, there's 16 possible options, James. <laughs> uh, hard, hard to say. I, I, uh, I haven't played a dwarf in a long time. Maybe I'll be a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent. And Alex Basso, what will your first basic D&D character be? I'm going to combine these two, Rudy and Vegas's answer, dwarf wizard. <laughs> Mountain dwarf with medium armor and battle axes. <laughs> and spells and spells a so force you know to be reckoned with certainly. alex has already figured out how to break D D music <laughs> <laughs> no no it's it's probably going to be terrible but yeah that sounds bad <laughs> no it's, it's gonna be the strongest wizard ever it is gonna be a strong wizard that is certainly true um but will they be a good wizard only time will tell, and we'll give you an update about that. Let's hit these people with the latest. If you've been under a rock, then you don't know that Basic D&D, a free over 100-page PDF, uh, was released on July 3rd. And it's got uh, basic rules. As Vegas said, it's got four classes each with only one subclass build and four races, all available for free. Um, It breaks down everything. The passages are directly from the player's handbook. And we're going to be talking about part one today. And part one covers pretty much all aspects of character creation. It's got your classes, your races, information on how to build a character. It's got your starting equipment, information on creating backgrounds, all that good stuff. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to break it down section by section for you guys. And we're going to begin with the introduction. And we are also going to talk about chapter one, which walks you through the character creation process. So while we're looking at this thing, 
Keep in mind the following things, guys. It seems pretty straightforward to me, all of the information that's here. And how do you think you would feel if you were totally new, you had never played D&D before, you had no idea what it was, and somebody handed you this document? Do you think you would understand what was going on? Do you think it's got plenty of examples and that it walks you through it well? And let's start with you, Rudy Basso. I am incredibly impressed with the succinct and straightforward way they explain the game. Um, you know, a while ago, I, out of curiosity, checked out the original uh, Dungeons & Dragons rulebook, and it was confusing. <laughs> this is really simple and really straightforward and really well-written, and it's not overly wordy. That's really important. It doesn't make a big deal out of explaining things in a difficult manner. It's very easy to pick up and understand. And I think that a lot of new players will immediately be able to jump in and be like, oh, okay, I get it. It's a story. It's basically an interactive story where the dungeon master controls what happens that we don't control. I mean, that's the most basic way to explain it. And they broaden that in a way that isn't confusing. Yeah, I think it's great that they open up right straight out of the gate with an example of scripted play. Uh, you know, it really is like, oh, okay, because I think D&D is one of those things, it's easier to show sometimes rather than try to explain, and that seems like a good good thing to me. Yeah, it seems very elegant and strong in the way it explains the game. Uh, Alex Basso, do you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. I think the, the introduction section is very well written. Um, definitely a good place to start for a new player uh and just just the the layout of the book itself i think does a good job of going through you know character creation and and all that stuff it, it's very step by step you know for someone who's never done it before you just follow it and uh you know it, it explains everything really well uh i i love it too uh, i i think we're all in unison here the worst part of D, &D uh, i would always argue is uh, figuring it out when you're a new player and uh, the introduction answers a lot of questions before they come up. You know, one of the one thing when when we're playing D and D and people walk by uh, who aren't familiar with the game, they'll they'll look at the table and go, "Oh, uh, are you guys winning? Who's winning?" Uh, one of the first paragraphs addresses there is no winning in D and D, and it I, just little things like that. It addresses just the basic uh what the game is all about and they do a great job with that good job james wyatt let me ask you guys a question we were talking a little bit before we started recording is there anything overall about this pdf that you're a little disappointed with um i mean obviously we participated in the play test we've seen the rules i think we're getting a ton of stuff here for free it's over a hundred pages of content for free, for free from the player's handbook, which is pretty cool. But, Alex Basso, you mentioned the lack of pictures. No pictures! Come on! <laughs> I mean, th for a second, because they have it in printer-friendly version and non-printer-friendly version, I thought I clicked the printer-friendly version. I'm like, that's why there's no pictures. But then I had to go back to it. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe they don't want to give away their new art. Throw some old stuff in there. Come on, make it more fun. It's just, you know, 100 pages of text. <laughs> yeah, I think no, I, I think Alex has a point though. It's important for new players specifically to get a feel visually for what the world is, for what these characters may look like, for what some of the things look like. Because there's a lot of fantasy out there, and some of it's dark, and some of it's more fun. And 
it's hard to kind of figure that out without seeing an example of a person who lives in this world. Sure, I actually think those are really good points. And when you think about it, this, as we know, this PDF is going to be updated. So perhaps in its final form, it will have some pictures. But I wonder if there's certain licensing issues they run into with art or something like that as well, where they can't just give away art for free. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, But since you need to go to the website to uh, get this, perhaps you'll be viewing all of the art on the website as well. Vegas, do you have any reservations here? I actually, I I like it a lot. I think it's a good... um... Uh, a nice free document. We've been talking for a long time uh, about what we expect from new D&D. And one thing we've been saying a lot is we want lots of PDFs and lots of free crap for new players. And, well, this is a big free PDF for new players. So <laughs> I- I'm happy. And Rudy, what about the overall teasiness of this thing? There's a lot of teasing to, for more information, check out these the player's handbook or check out this product you have to pay for. Do you feel cool about that? Or are you a little like, grr? I I mean, they got to make money at the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. showing the free version and hinting there's more. If you pick up the full version, um, that's a cute little tactic they're pulling, but I mean, it is what it is. And for certain things like, um, like in the class descriptions where they mentioned the different kind of fighter you can be, because that's pulled directly from the PHP, I can't really fault them for the teasiness there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're holding the PHP, it's going to make sense here. Maybe not so much, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah, I think uh, I actually think it's fine that they're doing that because everything they're hinting at and saying, hey, uh, uh, look at the PHP if you want to know more about multiclassing. Well, new players shouldn't be hearing about multiclassing. It's too crazy. All right, guys, I think it's time for us to get into the real meat of this packet. And let's talk first about races. Some of the changes that we could see made to races right off the bat is that there are plus two ability bonuses for the elf, halfling, and dwarf. The elf and halfling to dexterity, the dwarf to constitution. You can also see that the human who in the final playtest packet got plus one to all of his ability scores, still gets those same bonuses, but also has a variant. However, the unfortunate thing about that variant is that it cannot be used during the actual basic play because it requires you to take a feat instead of some ability score increases, and there are no feats in basic D&D. But it is interesting that they put that in there. I think they wanted to let people know, hey, we have this human variant planned, and if you participate in the playtest, we heard you, and we know that you want that. Anyway, looking over this, I really like those changes. They feel elegant, and they make things feel streamlined. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, they look good. Uh, I I would agree with you. I I like the way they have the races organized in the packet as well there's some nice uh uh flavor on either end of the uh race descriptions every race opens with an excerpt from uh a fantasy novel set in the D universe so the dwarf uh opens with an excerpt about dwarves from an r.a salvatore novel and so on uh and then they have little boxes at the end of the race description that describes their relationship with each of the other player character races. So it's it's pretty neat. 
Nice. Alex Basso, what are your thoughts? Anything here that seemed a little OP or a little disappointing? Uh, I don't know, man. Now I'm now I'm starting to question if humans are, are good choices. I'm <laughs> a, little, a little worried. It seems so boring compared to the rest. Well, I guess they were always boring. But um, you know, not having the plus two is can be a big difference. Um, and the variants, uh, I mean, you really, really got to see feats. That, that could be really, really good. Uh, taking feats instead, but I don't know. It's it's disappointing. Huh. I was so excited about humans. You guys remember? I, it's my favorite race. But you know, just one number, one number difference. Everybody else makes me a little less excited. So, well, do you feel less excited because you think that extra one difference in attributes is a big difference? Well, it's the combination of one along with uh, depending on how you make your character creation. Now they've capped both the array and point bay at 15 mm. as the high. So what I'm thinking is if I want to make a good character, you know, I'm not going to make a character that doesn't have a plus three modifier in my main stat. The 15, you can still raise to a 16, which gives you a plus three modifier. Or you could be doing the roll method, depending I on I could be doing DM the roll method. For now, the roll method just seems OP. But why wouldn't you do the roll method? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I understand Alex's frustrations with these changes to humans, but I feel that that's how it should be, that they should be, um, uh, you know, the neutral in in the lesser sense instead of the stronger sense as they were in the in the play packet, that um, it's more appealing to choose a more exotic race now, which is, uh, I think, always cool as a big uh, lover of diversity within the party. This is more appealing then for people to grab... Um, an elf or a dwarf, not just because, ooh, it's neat that I'm an elf or a dwarf, but mechanically, there's a good, there's a great reason to choose them as well. So I like this change a lot. I hope that it means we don't have four humans in our party, because, duh, you gotta pick human. But, uh, so I'm all, I'm down with these changes. And I love all the traits. The traits are cool. They do a good job making, again, making these, these races unique from one another. Now the humans, um, they they're still getting, uh, they're not getting plus two to a particular stat, but they're getting plus one to all of their stats. Which, you know, I I know you want to min max and get the most out of the stat that you're attacking with most frequently, but uh, you're getting six bonuses altogether, which is I think pretty good. So if you if you go for some other sub races, they're getting four. So. Uh, I mean, we're, we're getting into numbers here. It's just kind of... But the uh, the other thing is, I mean, I feel like D&D's always done a good job of making humans kind of... Yeah, they're average, but their kind of defining trait was that, like, humans are adaptable. You know, we always had the extra skill, the extra feat. But that's now, you know, an option. That's not even, you know, standard. Now they're just average and nothing special about them. I think for... Characters who are going to, you know, multiple attributes are going to be important, like your paladin and your monk and that kind of thing. I think that's where taking a human might be in your best interest, you know, because a paladin needs to have good wisdom for spellcasting, high strength for attacking and high con to survive being on the front line, you know, and maybe that's where being human comes into play. Similarly with monk, dex, con and wisdom are all important. So I wonder if that's m- more for for these classes we can't see yet. Your human might be a big advantage. I think we're having a good discussion here, guys. But let's put a pin in that discussion and hear a word from our sponsor, NobleKnight.com. Hello. 
Hello, citizens. Oh, thank goodness. Adventurers, we need a noble knight. Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes. Great prices out of print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic. I'll do it. Yes. Well, you see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. So as Vegas so delightfully and magnificently pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, we got four classes, cleric, fighter, rogue, and wizard. And as you can see, those are sort of the core four. They go along well with those core four races that we have. And there is one subclass for each of these, so they don't even have all of the subclasses that are going to be in the player's handbook when it releases. That being said, there's still a lot of material and information. You have all levels 1 through 20 of each of these classes. It seems like they've given you what will probably be like the most popular options for each of these. So I think it's it's good. You know, the, the subclass they give you for fighter, you could create a big two-handed hulking fighter. You could create a two-weapon fighter. You could create an archer with it. You know, they seem to be pretty versatile subclasses. So I'm, I'm a fan of that. And what are our favorite things that we're seeing here? What are our least favorite? For me, as extensive as this section is, it feels like, you know, didn't really change too much from the playtest packet. Let's start with you, Alex. Uh, I mean, I said a lot of stuff, like you said, it, it's very similar. The, the class I feel like that had the most changes was the Rogue. And that's something I like because Rogue was definitely the class I least enjoyed during our playtests, you know, our many playtest characters. Um, the Rogue, they, they gave them a couple, they changed the D6 to a D8 hit points per level. Uh, they upped the damage for sneak attack, the frequently it goes up, the, the frequency in which it goes up. And I mean, th- those are really the two big changes, but uh, that's something good because I felt like Rogue, when I played Rogue, and in fact, I think every Rogue we've had in playtest, basically their combat style involves hiding behind some sort of wall or stealth, object that they can stealth behind, throwing a dagger and then using their cunning action to, to stealth again. Uh, and it seemed kind of just pretty boring. Um, you know, when I, when I made a Rogue, I wanted to be in the middle of the fight, but I always felt like I was way too easily taken down so hopefully just that slight constitution health buff will help them out good good i'm glad to hear you're digging the rogue is there anything you were disappointed to see uh disappointed disappointed to see no maneuvers base for fighters baseline it's uh clearly gonna be only for whatever archetype uses it or maybe a couple different archetypes will get maneuvers but it's not gonna be a base fighter class feature yeah, I'll touch on that because I was mostly playing a fighter in our playtests with the beta t- uh, beta packets. Um, uh, and you're right; they don't have any maneuvers for him uh, or her in the uh, in the basic edition. Um, they so, like you were saying, they take out the uh, 
the pathways uh, of choice that we were seeing in the beta packet and only give you one path of choice uh, for each class in the basic packet. Uh, and they gave the simplest uh pathway for choice for the fighter which is the one that doesn't involve the maneuvers because some of them were kind of tricky and um not very complicated but there's just less choice involved in uh the basic fighter that they have here um some small changes that they made to him that i like they took the second wind feature that the fighter has and made it basically a free action um i, I was uh i was using that not very frequently in the playtest because uh, as a fighter taking your full action to heal yourself um, seems like not what you want to be doing. So I thought that was a nice minor change. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I didn't even notice that. That's great. Uh, Broody, how about you? Favorites and least favorites of the classes here. I like the versatility with the fighting style within the fighter class and that you know, I can make someone, and Vegas can make someone, they might not be the same thing. The biggest disappointment I have is that the rogue is really on a set path. If you have a person who wants to play a rogue, and they, if you have two rogues in the party, they're going to be the same thing, um, essentially, from 1 to 20. Um, one of them might be like a ranged rogue, and one might be a stabby rogue, but there's no choice from 1 to 20 within within this subclass that they have. The rogues don't have any any combat um, kind of, you know, choices. But what they seem to get is, you know, expertise is what it's called there. But it's the skill. You know, they get to, they get to specialize in skills, which I guess is kind of the, the difference between fighters and rogues. Rogues are more skill-based. Fighters get their combat. Sure. So I guess you could have, like, you could have a more thiefy moving around rogue, or you could have a more talky sort of rogue who specializes in swindling people. Uh, I guess those could be your big differences in the role-play arena, but I do think, Rudy, you're right about combat. You're not going to see a lot of crazy stuff, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of disappointing. I just It's up to the DMs to make sure that if a player says, I want to play a rogue, they're going to have to understand there's no magic spells for you to pick. There's no different fighting style down the line for you to choose another one. This is what you're going to be. So read carefully and make sure you like everything. I, uh, I actually don't mind the lack of choice that um, you're seeing within classes in the basic packet because it is a free basic packet. You know, this is a, uh, you try the classes out and see if you like D and D. And if you want more, Hey, there's going to be way more. Sure. And I think that brings me to this other part about classes. They tease a lot of the other archetypes within the descriptions of the class. And we actually get teased, not just a magical sort of gish fighter that we've heard a little bit about, but also a magical rogue, you know, a rogue with some magical abilities, like the abilities to levitate keys off a guard's belt and stuff. Uh, to me, that stuff is going to be pretty cool. I, I, you know, this teasiness is like, oh, oh I just want more, you know, a hundred pages of free PDF is not enough. Um, so I'm excited for the player's handbook to come out. Uh, would you guys like playing a magic rogue? No. I don't like rogues. Nah. So no. nah. <laughs> I don't know. I like I magic fighters. I don't like magically yeah. stealing stuff. Vegas, back me up. Uh, I think that's cool. I mean, it, 
I don't know if I, I would think that every thieves guild in a world full of magic would at least have a couple of magic -y guys. Um, mm. uh, and I think that makes sense that there would be some kind of magical rogues. Well, guys, let's move on from classes, which was a lot like the last playtest packet, to something that is completely different. Chapter 4, Personalities and Backgrounds. Oh my, did we get a whole bunch of new stuff, and it was pretty cool. Alright, let's talk about first the sex heading. Underneath this sex heading, there are two paragraphs that we could really have an entire podcast about almost. It's this discussion of sex and gender in D&D. And they basically go on to say that mechanically there is no difference between men and women, but that there are societal roles in specific settings that they play. And think about your adventurer and how that might play into their identity, how gender might play into their identity. They talk about bearded dwarf women and they talk about you know playing uh someone of one sex who feels like they are meant to be of another sex and they talk about ditching the binary notion of gender which i think is pretty progressive for uh this free packet to be putting out which is also presumably language in the player's handbook i was delighted to see this i really was and it was neat i think to to point that out to people that like hey just because things might have been a certain way in the past, D&D &D is fiction, and it's all fiction-based, and so our fiction world has, you know, sort of idealized gender roles, and it's um, okay for people to play someone who is different. That's what role-playing is all about. Um, how did you guys feel about this? Let's start with you, Rudy. Yeah, I love it. It's a reminder that people are stepping into a fictional world, and the certain ideals that may fit in our real world don't apply here. Things are different. You can be different. It's okay. It's encouraged. That's just normal here. So be weird to your heart's content. Be something that you'll never be in real life. That's the point of role-playing. So have fun. Bam. Yeah. Less, less stringent than our own real world, which is in exactly. some ways a little sad. Uh, Alex Basso, thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, it's good. I like it. It's a little surprising, to be honest, because I feel like so many, you know, this is something they could have just avoided. They could have just not mentioned it at all, which would have been, I guess, the easy way out. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me think of other game companies that, I don't know if anyone's been following, like, E3 at all and Ubisoft, and there's a bunch of talk about, you know, avoiding female you know, games without now putting female uh, protagonists in. And that's, like, a big topic at the moment. And Ubisoft just kind of, you know, they took the easy to way out they said it's tough to make those models it's and ridiculous. you know it's, uh, it's just that's i guess kind of what i expect with video game companies with board game companies to just kind of avoid the topic but they you know they take it head on with these two paragraphs and it's it's surprising yeah in a good way yeah in a great way in a great way i agree vegas uh i think it makes a lot of sense um from the like conventions and things i go to i get the impression that there's a big crossover between the nerd community and the LGBT community. So it actually almost makes sense to see this kind of progressivism uh, right there in the player's handbook. Uh, and it's, it's neat. It's neat to think that, uh, you know, if there's a DM somewhere trying to tell his players, Oh no, you can't be a gay dwarf. Gay d dwarves are all dwarves are straight. It's, Right there in the rule book that says, oh, no, be a gay dwarf, whatever. Yeah, 
Exactly. Exactly. Gay dwarf just as good at killing dragons as a straight dwarf, guys. So let's uh, let's move on since we're all in harmonious agreement and talk about some other new stuff in this crazy, crazy great chapter uh, where they talk about personality traits and ideals and flaws and bonds and it seems like a great way to really get new players integrated into the game it's a thing where you sort of can build your background you know in four unique sentences five unique sentences whatever so i I like that and i like the suggestions and i like that it can be tied into your background but they do a lot of encouraging you to either create your own background and to create your own flaws and ideals how did you guys feel about this i felt like this really embraces the role-playing aspect of D&D and maybe helps people who aren't as big role players get into it yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, we're preserving the uh, background features that I think we all really liked from the uh, uh, beta playtest um, where you're getting skills and certain bonuses that are related to your character's background. So it's one more mechanical dimension for your character besides class and race. Um, but in this packet, they really go way beyond um just that mechanical feature and uh, try to encourage uh, uh, players to pick uh, a unique personality trait, a, uh, a unique uh, ideal is what they have, something that their character would strive for and defend over anything else, um, a, uh, a bond that they have with some character, uh, some NPC or uh, uh, some something that exists in the world and they encourage you to pick a flaw. Uh, and, you know, I, I think previous editions of the game have encouraged you to do all those things in creating a character, but this is, they, they've got tables to generate those things if you have a hard time coming up with it on yourself. They have so many suggestions here in the packet. And I think, I think, uh, It'll be really helpful to new players and players who aren't that big into building a background uh, alike. Yeah, and it's even, you can roll for them, or you can pick based on alignment, or you can read them and pick your favorite. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can pick these pre-made ones that they have for you. Uh, Rudy, what are your thoughts on the personality characteristics here? I love it because role playing can be hard sometimes. <laughs> it's hard to create a flaw for your character. It's hard to create an ideal or a personality trait. And if you're new, it can be especially confusing, especially if it's an all new group. You know, people don't see what a good role player is like. So they're kind of stagnating in this weird, I don't really know what I'm doing kind of mentality. But with this, it clearly sets out a character that you can follow. And that is so important for for new players to, to understand what it can mean to role play a character. So I love it. I think it's such a smart idea. I can't believe that we didn't think of doing something like this. I'm just, I'm so pumped by it. And I'm, I'm so excited to play uh, with new players using this as their outline. And uh, as I've said before, I love the backgrounds. I love all the little neat features that come with the backgrounds. And um, really, really pumped and, and super happily surprised by this, uh, this idea. Yeah, I'm just going to agree with the other two. It's... it's... <laughs> I don't know much more to add. But yeah, it's definitely a good thing. I'm gonna. It helps me a lot. It's someone who uh, frequently 
kind of forgets my character motives and just goes with what Alex thinks is best. Uh, this will be a good way to kind of maintain uh, some consistency with my character and have some guidelines to always follow. Uh, so I definitely feel like it's going to help a lot for people who aren't the best at role-playing. Uh, personally, one of my favorite parts of D&D is coming up with new characters and their motivations and histories. So uh, uh, honestly, I probably won't be rolling on a table to see uh, what my character's personality traits are. Um, but like, because they have these tables, I'm definitely going to read through them and maybe get some more inspiration or look at things different ways that I haven't before. Um, uh, I, I think it's neat that it's in there. Yeah, yeah, or come up with your own based, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I see the structure, I see how this works, now I'm going to come up with my own. Because it sounds like you may need these for the inspiration mechanics. Uh, Rudy, you want to talk about that a little bit? The inspiration mechanic here? Sure, I think um, good role-playing should always be rewarded at the table. And this is a very simple, very straightforward way for the DM to be like, you know what, Vegas? That was really cool. That was really in character. You get inspiration. So you can, at any point, give advantage to one of your roles. And as you guys know, advantage is a huge benefit for every role. So it's a great way for the DM to, like I said, reward good role playing. Nice. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Is you get to give somebody uh, inspiration, and it's cool that the players can give people inspiration. You know, you can give up your inspiration to another character so they have inspiration. It's a really fluid system here with this inspiration mechanic. Uh, Alex, what did you think? Well, I guess I wasn't as I wasn't as crazy about it as you guys. You guys seemed to really like it. I mean, I feel like just, you know, this obviously is based on, you know, everyone who they play with. But I mean, James, I always felt like you did a good job of rewarding, you know, role playing. And so this is just a way for them to kind of put it in as a mechanic, I guess, which I think is really good for new players to let new DMs know, hey, we have something to give people who are in character who are playing well. But I mean, is it necessary for, you know, people who've been playing together for a long time? Not, I don't know. Maybe not. Not really. Uh, I'm kind of on the side of Alex. I, I don't know if we need a mechanical reward for uh, role playing well. And I, I certainly wouldn't want, um, I don't know if it's something that would happen, but I wouldn't want to imagine a group of other players where someone who maybe is more interested in, in combat is feels like they're being punished for not being as into the role-playing part of the game. I don't know if that's something that would happen. It's it's a just a, a small little mechanical bonus, which is kind of neat. Um, uh, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I think it's interesting. All right, guys. Well, we're beginning to wind down here. But before we go, I want to talk about the equipment section real fast. The equipment section is very close to what it was in the last playtest packet as far as weapons and armor and things like that go. But we did get a much more fully extensive equipment guide with all sorts of tools of the trade and fun little random things like chess sets and cards and things like that. 
So what I want to know is, what is your favorite piece of equipment from the equipment guide, not counting trinkets? Uh, the mess kit. It's about time that we put some emphasis on how you eat every day. <laughs> now I know with the mess kit. <laughs> Looking forward to role-playing the cook. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think it's great that you can see those things, especially if you're a new player and think like, oh, okay, so yeah, maybe this is what I'm doing during a short rest you know i'm sitting around uh cooking up some eggs for the party i like that a lot uh vegas how about you glad to see a donkey in the equipment section <laughs> when we were play testing my character had a donkey and they didn't have that listed so i spent a horse worth of gold pieces uh giving myself a donkey during character creation turns out donkeys worth less than 20 percent of a horse <laughs> that's terrible i'm not sure what that says but it is true (laughs) uh alex basso what is your favorite piece of rando Uh, equipment i mean i love the musical choices specifically Uh the bagpipes (laughs) (laughs) i want to be a bard that brings his bagpipes into battle Or I mean, or into on. the tavern? Oh Could you imagine? Oh my God, <laughs> I don't think I want to like it. Too loud. But that is awesome. I'm loving all this random equipment. There's plenty more for people to check out. But then the final pages of the equipment guide actually have trinkets, and you can roll once on the table and start with one of these trinkets for free. And these are things like a tiny sketch portrait of a goblin or a rabbit's foot. Or a one-inch cube, each side painted a different color. So they're all random things that your character might have, and you could come up with a different reason for it. Rudy, I know you feel just as passionately as I do about this. Tell me your favorite, and tell me why it's awesome. Uh, My favorite has got to be number 79, an invitation to a party where murder happens. Because you know what? That's a quest right there. That is a quest waiting to be expounded upon and opened up and that's that's what a lot of these are they're they're great tools for the dm to be like ah oh, i know that alex has that weird thing so let me try and weave that into the quest what they're doing right now and and i'll bring that back later and so you have every person has one of those quests waiting to happen so i think it's a great tool for the dm to use and constantly have something in his back pocket yeah yeah, I agree 100%. As a DM, you feel me. You feel me, Rudy. Fellow GMs right here. Yeah. All right. How about you, Vegas? What's your favorite piece of trinket? Uh, my favorite trinket is a silver teardrop earring made from a real teardrop. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> oh these are so fun these are so fun alex basso how about you oh man i i have a list of my favorites but i'm gonna go just one i'm gonna go number 29 a pair of old socks (laughs) what do they mean yeah (laughs) Uh, these are great these are great these are a ton of fun they are a ton of fun and i think this packet is a ton of fun But this is where we're going to end it for this episode. But we're going to break down the rest of the packet the next time we get together, which should be next week. And that's when we'll talk to you all. So, 
Until then, Rudy, where can folks find you? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O. Thanks. And Vegas Lancaster, where can folks find you? I'm on Twitter, too, at Vegas Lancaster. Friday nights in Philadelphia with the Philly N crowd. PhillyNCrowd.com. We do jokes and stuff. Nice. All right, guys. And Alex Basso cannot be found on the internet. Still a mystery. (laughs) If you have a question or topic you'd like to see us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you can hit up Rudy or Vegas on their Twitter accounts, and they'll let us know. And shameless plug, check out my blog, World Builder Blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Rudy, Alex, and Vegas. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling. Keep on listening to The Roundtable.